Did you ever wonder what love is? If you Google it, there are 89 different words in the dictionary to try to define what love is. And then you'll find 10,690,000,000 search results for the question, what is love? So what is love? If all you need is love, how can we find ourselves some? Welcome to Consciously, a podcast focused on honest conversation by regular people and for regular people seeking spiritual growth. Hey Consciously, how's it going? It's Menachem here back for one of our impromptu short form episodes. Um, the uh, last interview we had with Rev. David Cohen uh, was amazing, fantastic. We got some great interviews coming. Really hope the material is finding you as well as we are finding it. And uh, we really appreciate the listenership and the contact and uh, all the different interaction that we've had. We really uh, are enjoying it. Um, if you're listening to this, if you take a minute when you're done, or maybe just right now, uh, if you can give us a five-star review on Apple or in any of the other podcasting formats. Just try to help get the message out. So we started a new series and we're calling it, What Does That Mean? And what we're looking to do is look at the meaning of words, usually like spiritually oriented words, and try to get a sense of what it means and a reflection of how that informs our lives and maybe how it can kind of shift our perspective, allow us to see ourselves and the universe differently. And uh, the second word that I wanted to kind of try to tackle is love. Love is really complicated, especially today. People use the word love in so many different ways, um, sometimes in ways that are seems rather superficial and also sometimes kind of super broad. Uh, sometimes people will say things that makes it seem like a superficial form of love or a love as a platitude is somehow going to resolve all the world's ills. And then when it plays itself out, that doesn't really show itself to be true. So what is love? So just a few simple ideas that I think are really powerful and I think really speak a lot to the topic. So there's a, there's a great saying from the sage Hillel. He was asked, and, and there are many teachings in Torah uh, that reflect this, um, starting from, you know, the, the Chumash itself. It says, I think I got all the words, right? Which is, uh, you should love your fellow as yourself. I am God. And uh, the commentaries comment that it says, I am God, to accentuate the importance of that command, to love another, to love our fellows as we love ourselves. Uh, the, the, the great sage Hillel identified this principle of love and care for others and treating others in the way that we would, we would want to be treated as the foundation stone of the entirety of Torah. You know, in the, when an individual came to him and said, can you teach me, challenged him, can you teach me the entirety of Torah on one foot, uh, and when he had been previously chased out of the study hall um, in other schools, you know, for asking something so absurd, you know, how could you think that Torah, that the wisdom of Torah could be kind of uh, called down to a simple statement that could be learned on one foot? Hillel simply said, that which you want done to you, do unto others. This is the foundation, and the rest is commentary. The entirety of the Torah is commentary, and there's all sorts of uh, commentaries and discussions about what that means. But but one of these principles of love thy neighbor uh, as an expression of love 
um, seems to really cut at the core of the spiritual teachings of Judaism. And, and it'd be really, I think, useful to start off by trying to understand what that means. Uh, love thy neighbor as, as, as you love yourself. Um, first of all, that implies that loving yourself is a good idea. I think sometimes from a false place of humility, we can kind of get feeling like loving ourselves is somehow a bad thing, is somehow wrong, is somehow unhumble or inappropriate. And, you know, if I think horrible of myself, um, then if, and, and then I love others as I love myself, I'm, I haven't done anybody any favors. There's a beautiful story that, that, I, that I often talk about that I heard from Rav Moshe Weinberger about the great Magad of Mizrich that a, a chassid of his, a student of his, who was very wealthy, came to see him, and, and, and as was the, the custom when he came to his, to his Rebbe, to his spiritual master, he would report back to him his, the different things that he was doing to grow spiritually. And one of the things that he reported back was that he had abandoned all material pleasures as related food, and that he had put himself on a diet of uh, coarse bread and water. Uh, throughout the week, and he would only partake in, uh, you know, enjoyable food on the weekends. And he was reporting this to his to his rebbe, to his master, to his mentor, uh, hoping for probably some level of affirmation. And instead, the Magad really gave him a very, very hard time. He really yelled at him, and he accused him of being an egomaniac of some sort. Uh, uh, he accused him of of acting out of ego, uh, and and acting above his spiritual level. And that the world was here to enjoy, and this goes cuts to the core of some of the teachings of Hasidus um, about the idea of of penitence being not about the constriction of the body and the, the torturing of the body. So the guy took um, he took his legging, and uh, and he moved on. And this, the students that were there in the room asked the Magid, "What was that about? You know, I know that you live." in abject poverty, in a shack. I know people come here all the time and give you money that they want to, they, they're hoping that you use to support yourself, to support your family. And the Magad is one of those people that used to never go to sleep with money in his pocket. He would give away every penny that he had, so which left him living in poverty. So why would you tell that to, to your student? And and the Magad, um, and the Magad, reported back to his student. He said, no, no, you're, you're making a mistake. You see, this man is wealthy, and that is his mission in life, is to amass wealth. He's good at making money, and, and therefore his mission is to make that money and then to share that abundance with others, to, to give charity. And if this guy tortures himself or limits himself and only eats bread and water, coarse bread and water, then when a poor guy comes and says, oh, I'm starving, I don't have money for my family, my children are starving, please, can you give me some money for a few weeks? Uh, you know, the crops didn't come, come in, I needed for a few months of food. And he'll calculate in his mind how much, it, how much these, these people need. And he'll say to himself, well, it costs me, if we use dollars, it costs me just a dollar or two a day for food, but, you know, they're not going to eat the way that I eat, so I'll give them $5 a day uh, per person, right? It's, Five of them and two parents is seven. Okay, so I'll just give him about $35. Here's $35 a day times five days, seven days, whatever it is. And he'll give him a small amount of money. But if he eats like a king, as I instructed him to, then when the poor man comes to ask him for money, he might not give the poor man money that would sustain his family at the level of the rich man, but it would definitely be much more. And and this this teaching, I think, reflects a really powerful idea that we really have to consider 
uh, which is that love is a reflection of what's going inside of you. That if you, if you are constantly mistreating yourself, you are very likely to tr- mistreat the people around you. And your context for how you give to others has a lot to do with how you treat yourself. Now, this doesn't mean that you can't limit yourself. I think what's powerful about this is when limiting of oneself comes from the right space, it comes from a space of love as well. You know, as parents, we oftentimes find out that discipline is not something that's an expression of hate or frustration or anger, but discipline at its best is an expression of love because everybody needs a little bit of discipline. Everybody needs a little bit of structure. And if we don't feed in too much to kind of an unhealthy place of frustration or anger or negativity, and instead we allow our discipline to emerge from a place of love, it's actually received much better. And and the, the impact of it is much, much stronger. And I think that the same thing holds true for ourselves. We might create some certain limitations for ourselves, but is that are those limitations emerging from a place of love? Or are they emerging from a place of hate or frustration or a lack of awareness that we deserve? So the first lesson I think that emerges is that if I really want to get some semblance of what it means to love, I have to practice on myself. I have to really get some sense of what it means to love myself. And someone wants to ask the Alta Rebbe, the Balatanya, if I have to choose between love of God and love of my fellow man, which one do I choose first? And the Balatanya classically answered, they are one and the same. Because love of your fellow man is an outgrowth of your love for God. Because of the divinity that exists within each person. And this teaching is fundamentally mind-blowing. Because if we take to heart the correlation between love of ourself and love, love towards other people, and we and we connect that with this teaching of the Alter Rebbe, that love for others is a reflection of our awareness and recognition of the divinity within them. And that by loving them, we are not just loving them, we are loving God. And as we discussed in the last uh, episode on words, God is existence, meaning our love for existence itself, our, our passion for existence itself. And then our love for ourselves is also an outgrowth of something spiritual like that, is also the awareness of our own internal divinity. So as we become aware of the divinity within each of us, the beauty within each of us, the existence within each of us, with, within ourselves and within those around us, we can kind of come to a sense of admiration and passion and caring for the people around us and for ourselves. And I think this is a really a, a powerfully important foundation stone. Another teaching that's really, really important um, within the world of recovery. There's a beautiful teaching that's that is reflected in Judaism, but but uh, but really is encapsulated really beautifully uh, by a an, a twelve step AA thinker. His name was Chuck Chamberlain. He said that he once got a call from a psychologist who wanted to know. Uh, and Chuck's an interesting character. In his time, he was kind of like really fairly. In, um, influential in the sense that people were observing what was going on in Alcoholics Anonymous and the other 12-step programs and observing the kind of good that was going on there. And he became somewhat of a, a I wouldn't say a spokesman, but someone that, that they leaned on and they would ask questions to. He's someone who had kind of utilized the principles of the 12 steps to really accomplish some measure of self-mastery and good character. And uh, he said that a psychologist called him up and said, Chuck, can you tell me what love is? 
And he said, love is action. Love is what you do. And, uh, and this is a really important principle, which is that sometimes I don't always feel in a way that reflects my love, but that doesn't mean that I don't love it. What love is, is actually what I practically put into play on the ground. Like feelings are really wonderful. Experiencing uh, what it feels like to get to know the divinity within myself and with others is really, really powerful. But at the end of the day, if I don't take action, then the experience and the feeling is fleeting and it walks away. And that love is really reflected most in right action, right speech, right thoughts. And the efforts we make to see the good in others and the efforts that we make to express the feelings of admiration we have for others and to demonstrate that admiration and caring in effect. So that's the second teaching. The third teaching is a beautiful letter from the Lubavitcher Rebbe to a woman who asked him about love. And the Rebbe answered this. It's very, very powerful. He said, Love is not the overwhelming binding emotion that we find in the world of fiction. Real love is an emotion that intensifies throughout life. It is the small everyday acts of being together that makes love flourish. It is sharing and caring and respecting one another. It is building a life together, a family and a home. As two lives unite to form one over time, there is a point where each partner feels a part of the other where each partner can no longer visualize life without the other at his or her side. So what the Lubavitcher Rebbe is expressing there is that love is something that's built over time through dedication and through investment. And that it's not something so much that's tangible, and it's something also that's existential. It's an experience that we have inside when we dedicate ourselves and invest ourselves in a relationship, or in a task, or in a certain mission. The result is a certain sense of connectedness to that person, thing, or mission that is not fully describable. It's an organism. It's a thing in and of itself. In some ways, sometimes when I, I, I talk to young people that are just getting married, I, I, I invite them to imagine three spheres kind of in a triangle formation. Right? On the bottom, there's two bottom and then there's one at the top at the center and one sphere i say is on 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 one side is you and then the other side is your spouse and the third sphere at the top of the triangle is your relationship and that relationship is going to grow over time and in the beginning of your relationship you're not going to feel one with your partner at best maybe we'll talk about this further in a in a future episode at best you could sacrifice your sphere for the other person's sphere and, and you don't want to get into a place too much, you know, when you get into the world of codependency where your sphere is somehow less important than the other person's sphere or set aside for the other person's sphere. But what happens in a relationship as you build uh, a life together with somebody else or as you work on a project together, maybe with a friend or a colleague, the third sphere, the sphere that represents not you and not them, but the relationship begins to grow and it begins to grow and grow and grow until it encompasses the two independent individuals. And, and as time goes on in its most ideal state, and I think this is partially what the Rebbe is, what the Lubavitch Rebbe is expressing, as time goes on, those two independent spheres become less and less 
present and they become more and more absorbed in the greater uh, sphere that is the life of the individuals, of the couple, or the, the life cycle of the project. And, and in that space, that experience, I think, has a lot to do with what love is. So love is the feeling experience that happens when you meditate on the goodness of a person or a thing. And love is actions that emerge out of that experience of meditation. And love is what develops over time through action and dedication. Welcome to the journey. Thanks for listening to the Consciously Podcast. Consciously is a project of The Living Room, which is a division of Our Place New York, and made possible by the kindness of the Capellius family, in memory of Tsipora Basravaron. The host of Consciously is Menachem Posnansky, and produced by Chaim Kohn, and our trusted assistant to the regional co-host, Shmaya Hanekman. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can give us a review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribe on Apple or wherever else you get your podcasts. We sincerely welcome and appreciate your feedback, so please feel free to email us at consciously62 at gmail.com or on our Instagram and Facebook pages.